Test, test, test. Welcome to The Wavelength, a newsletter that covers technology policy, law, and politics in the United States and around the world. Data flows freely around the world, and so does tech policy, so it pays to pay attention. I'm a former registered lobbyist in the United States, former congressional staff, but still a practicing lawyer. Of course, I'm not giving legal counsel or advice through my newsletter nor podcast. Also, anything I say here does not represent the views of any clients, past, future, or present. Moreover, what I say might not even represent my views soon enough, for I do my best to follow John Maynard Keynes' possibly apocryphal advice on changing one's mind when wrong. The Wavelength is now a subscription product. It was free. I think you'll be hard-pressed to find another newsletter that provides as much value if you want to stay knowledgeable about which way tech policy winds are blowing. Sign up today. In this uh, edition, we're going to look at the European Data Protection Board, the EDPB, or board, uh, in asking for feedback on draft guidelines, 2022 on data subject rights right of access. In other words, it's going to the the uh, EDBP is taking on uh, Article 15 of the General Data Protection Regulation, which is the right of access by the data subject. Now they're taking this on as part of their larger ongoing mission to ensure the European Economic Areas Data Protection Authorities (DPAs) interpret and apply the data protection regime uniformly, advise EEA residents of their rights, and inform controllers, processors, and other stakeholders about their obligations and responsibilities. The the EDPB's guidance and interpretations have weight throughout the world in a number of different ways. First, entities uh, headquartered outside the European economic area may be subject to the GDPR. The board has written extensively on the extraterritorial application of the GDPR, uh, relying on some work done by its predecessor organization, the uh, Article 29 Working Party Group. Um, So anything the uh, board says may wind up applying to companies like Facebook or Google or Apple or even smaller multilaterals or multinationals that come under the GDPR. Second, data protection authorities around the world have often worked with or even against the GDPR, making the board's views informative of other data protection schemes throughout the world. One merely needs to look at the United States and the individual states and in Congress to see many legislative frameworks for a data protection and data privacy um, regime that works with or against or using the concepts of the GDPR. So as a result, How the board construes the GDPR can be immensely influential in countries like the United States and elsewhere that are still working on their data protection regimes. Finally, um, it bears note that the board is not working with a blank slate here. They are stressing that their interpretation is grounded in the case law from the Court of Justice of the European Union, the highest court in the European Union. In this instance, the board is construing more than just the GDPR, as mentioned, for, quote, the right of access of data subjects is enshrined in Article 8 of the European Union Charter of Fundamental Rights, end quote. The board added that, quote, it has been part of the European data protection legal framework since its beginning and is now further developed by more specified and precise rules in Article 15 of the GDPR, unquote. Moreover, the board 
quote, considers it necessary to provide more precise guidance on how the right of access has to be implemented in different situations. I want to stop here and deviate from what I wrote in the newsletter to point out that unlike bills in the United States, for anybody who may be listening there and knowledgeable about data protection, data privacy legislation, unlike bills there, the right of access under the general data protection regulation, we'll look at the actual article here, Article 15 in just a second, is much broader than just the right to contact a controller or in the United States, some covered entity under a data protection legislative regime and asking whether or not the entity is controlling or holding any of their data. Here, it also encompasses what might be known in the United States and elsewhere as a right to correct or a right to delete, and also to find out the purposes of processing and the third parties or categories of third parties to whom their personal data may be given, shared, or sold. So in my article, I quote Article 15, which I think anybody can access who has internet access and even rudimentary search skills. So I'm not going to go over point by point uh, what the right of access by a data subject under the GDPR entails. We'll hit some of the high points, however. As mentioned, uh, data subjects, i.e. people in the European Union, or really the European economic area, because countries like uh, Norway or Iceland are part of uh, the GDPR, but not part of the European Union per se. In any event, um, people in the EEA can find out from controllers, people holding their entities, holding their data, the purposes of the processing, the categories of personal data concerned, the recipients or, or categories of recipients to whom the personal data have or will be disclosed, in particular recipients in third countries or organ international organizations. I think uh, that sub point will hit home with many multinationals. And uh, it goes on, um, in any event, the EDPB summarizes foundational right and its discrete components. Uh, under the GDPR, the right of access consists of three components, i.e. confirmation of whether or not personal data are processed, access to it, and information about the processing itself. Now, the EDPB is uh, Catholic about how this data uh, or this right may be provided to data subjects in the European Union. <clears throat> and so the guidelines are really open-ended as far as that goes. It also bears note that like a lot of the guidelines and guidance that the EDPB issues, there are lots of examples to try and construe what the EDPB is advising. Of course, keep in mind that from a legal point of view, if I were advising someone, I would not advise them to rely too heavily on the examples. I don't know that they would exactly stand up in court. Um, in any event, the EDPB goes on to say that the right of access is thus designed to enable natural persons to have control over personal data relating to them and all that it allows it to be aware of and verify the lawfulness of the processing. And so the right of access is seen as a fundamental way that the GDPR works for if people cannot find out what information is being uh, collected about them, processed or shared, the rest of the, the regulation does not work quite so well. 
In this vein, the EDBP says the purpose of the right of access is to provide the individual with sufficient, transparent, and easily accessible information about data processing regardless of the technologies used and to enable them to verify different aspects of a particular processing activity under the GDPR, for example, lawfulness or accuracy. And so to sum up, in the EEA, the right of access is in place so that people can exercise their rights in a meaningful way for any person to, for any person is able to determine which information a controller holds and processes. Inherent of the right of access is a right often split off and labeled or the right to correct in the United States, as previously discussed. The board continues by observing that other GDPR rights are rooted in the right of access, even though they may be exercised or vindicated without resort to this right. The board noted that in line with the Court of Justice of the European Union decisions, the right of access serves the purpose of guaranteeing the protection of data subjects' right to privacy and data protection with regard to the processing of data relating to them and may facilitate the exercise of their rights flowing from, for example, Articles 16 through 19 of the GDPR, Articles 21, 22, and 82. However, the exercise of the right of access is an individual's right and not conditional upon the exercise of those other rights, and the exercise of those other rights does not depend on the exercise of the right of access. I think it's fairly apparent that the drafters of the GDPR did not want Article 15 and the exercise of its rights to serve as a bottleneck through which, shall we say, the malintended controller or processor might stymie the exercise of those other rights. You may be asking yourself, like I did when reading this this uh, draft uh, guidance, what are these other rights? And so I actually looked it up and I listed them. So Article 16 is the right to re, uh, rectification. Article 17, the right to erasure, more commonly known as the right to be forgotten. Article 18, right to restriction of processing. Article 19, notification obligation regarding rectification or erasure of personal data or restriction of processing. 21, the right to object. 22, automated individual decision-making, including profiling. And 82, the right to compensation and liability. It also bears mention that the board is not saying that Article 15 is important to only these rights. It's just these are the ones in the GDPR that come to mind. So there may well be other articles of the GDPR that are implicated by the right to access. In any event, unlike a number of laws and proposed data protection laws in the United States, in the view of the GDPR, the right of access is not subject to the discretion of a controller unless the request is excessive. This is important because a lot of uh, the data protection regimes proposed and implemented that I see do give what in the European Union would be called a controller elsewhere, merely a covered entity, really just kind of a business, uh, a lot more leeway to turn aside requests. Uh, one stumbling block that I see that I think we're already seeing being abused from the perspective of privacy advocates and consumer rights advocates is in California under the California Consumer Protection Act. Uh, the, I believe Consumer Reports has done some research on this and found that uh, it is really difficult to get uh, companies to comply with the right to access requests. So this seems like a natural obstacle that just controllers around the world would want to use because it's 
to be fair to them, this takes uh, time, money, and staff resources to respond to these things. And businesses, quite frankly, would probably rather not. And so under the GDPR, it seems to be weighted towards the person making the request as opposed to a more balanced approach that might lead to companies um, pushing back, shall we say, against some of these requests. Be that as it may, the EDPB said, given the broad aim of the right of access, the aim of the right of access is not suitable to be analyzed as a precondition for the exercise of the right of access by the controller as part of its assessment of access requests. Thus, controllers should not assess why the data subject is requesting access, but only what the data the subject is requesting and whether they hold the personal data relating to that individual. Therefore, for example, the controller should not deny access on the grounds or the suspicion that the requested data could be used by the data subject to defend themselves or in court or in the event of a dismissal or a commercial dispute with the controller. And so, even if a controller suspects that data subjects are asking for information about the personal data that the controller holds, even if they suspect a litigation, or someone is going to pursue a claim that they were wrongly or unfairly dismissed, the controller still needs to comply. I'm guessing, even though the board doesn't necessarily get into this, that that's going to be very broadly applied in a way that is going to tilt towards people in the European economic area making requests of controllers. And I think that the board and more importantly, since they are going to be the frontline enforcers, the data protection authorities in a lot of jurisdictions in the European economic area are going to come down on the side of the requester in the event there's some sort of dispute. Now, having said that, of course, there's been plenty of criticism leveled at Ireland's Data Protection Commission and some of the other data protection authorities throughout the region as being too lenient on companies that are headquartered in their countries. Uh, of course, Ireland comes to mind given that Facebook and Twitter and Apple are headquartered there. Uh, I believe Amazon is headquartered in Luxembourg, although I guess Luxembourg's more than 800 million US dollar fine of Amazon may have gone some way to allay concerns that Luxembourg's Data Protection Authority is going to go uh, be lenient on Amazon. Having said that, um, it is still going to be up to the Data Protection Authority, many of which are, uh, in the view of some, resource starved. So right to access may or may not raise the level of bringing an enforcement action or even making an inquiry with a controller. It may or it may not. We shall find out. Be that as it may, the board articulated its general principles for the right of access. Quote, when data subjects make a request to access for access to their data, in principle, the information referred to in Article 15 of the GDPR must always be provided in full. Accordingly, where the controller processes data relating to the data subject, the controller shall provide all of the information referred to in Article 15 and where applicable in Article 15, subsection 2. The information may be, must be complete, correct, and up-to-date, corresponding as close as possible to the state of data processing at the time. Um, 
the EDPP goes on to summarize the matters it discusses in greater detail and how uh, controllers should respond to requests to exercise the right of access. When receiving requests for access to personal data, the controller must assess each request individually. The controller shall take into consideration inter alia the following issues, further developed in the following paragraphs. Whether the request concerns personal data linked to the requesting person and who the requesting person is. This section aims to clarify what elements the request for access the controller should take into account when carrying out its assessment and discuss possible scenarios for which an assessment as well as its con or for such an assessment as well as its consequences. The controller, when assessing a request for access to personal data, shall also take into account, pursuant to Article 12, subsection 2, the obligation to facilitate the exercise of data subjects' rights while keeping in mind the appropriate security of the personal data. Discussing and analyzing the detail of the guidelines is outside the scope of what I've posted. However, the board made available a number of flowcharts to summarize how controllers should address requests. That's going to be all the way at the end of the document, completely worth uh, taking a look at because the EDBP uncharacteristically broke down in a visual form kind of the decision-making process controllers should run through. Um, now, I guess as a kind of conclusion, uh, as a conclusion, it is going to take some time for the European Data Protection Board to call through the submissions. The consultation closes, uh, I think, on 11 March, early March in any event. And so it's my guess we're not going to see a final version of these guidelines before the end, uh, the close of this year, probably early even into next year. Um, but this will prove to be persuasive with the data protection authorities and then also with the courts in the European Union as they look to construe the rights of access. Turning to the other developments that I covered in this issue of the wavelength, Belgium's data protection authority uh, found that the transparency and consent framework, the TCF developed by IAB Europe, fails to comply with a number of provisions of the GDPR, according to the agency's statement. Uh, the agency explained that the TCF is a widespread mechanism that facilitates the management of users' preference for online personal advertising and that plays a pivotal role in the so-called real-time bidding. They imposed a 250,000 euro fine on the company and it gave the IAB two months to present an action plan to bring its activities into compliance. And this is a fairly major ruling as privacy and consumer rights advocates in the European Union and elsewhere have been claiming for some time that the consent mechanisms that a lot of controllers and processors are using in the European economic area do not do not comply with the GDPR. This has been one of the more famous regimes. Um, I think it's been managing the so-called cookie regime. And so um, the Belgian uh, DPA as the lead supervisory agents, agency uh, under the GDPR, of course, under the one-stop mechanism under the GDPR instead of a controller operating in many countries in the European economic area facing multiple actions. Generally, one country, typically where that uh, company is headquartered, will take the lead. In this case, uh, IAB Europe is apparently headquartered in Belgium, most likely Brussels, to be near the European Union. 
um, parliament and the Belgian uh, DPA has been working on this for some time and a number of people in the European Union have been waiting anxiously on its findings. Briefly, um, Belgium's DPA found that IAB Europe violated the lawfulness requirement of the GP GDPR, also the transparency of, and information of its users, accountability and security and data protection by design by default, and other obligations pertaining to a controller processing personal data on a large scale. We'll see uh, how this moves forward and what kind of enforcement this is going to actually result in. Uh, another uh, development covered in the other development section. The United Kingdom's Competition and Markets Authority fined Meta Facebook million and a half pounds after it failed to alert the CMA in advance of key staff leaving the company, which was a condition of the CMA looking at Meta slash Facebook's deal to acquire Giphy. They ultimately uh, came down against the Giphy deal, but this is not the first time Meta slash Facebook did not play nicely with the United Kingdom's Competition and Markets Authority, which is that country's highest antitrust or competition enforcer. Um, this is, as noted, on the second fine, and it couldn't, it may not be the last. Um, turning to some of the other items that we uh, put into uh, the other development section. In the United States, the White House's Office of Science and Technology Policy will soon have a new head. Um, the OSTP is a key uh, organ inside of any administration setting science and technology policy. The current head, Dr. Eric Lander, was uh, found, uh, at least in media articles, to have been dis uh, dismissive and abusive to staff which, of course, is contrary to President Joe Biden's famous declaration that anyone found being uh, dismissive or abusive to staff would be fired on the spot. Well, the Biden administration didn't exactly act at that speed, as it has long been an open secret in Washington that Lander is not the uh, best boss, shall we say. In any event, um, after Politico ran a couple of stories about his... Um, his conduct and response from people working under him. He turned in his resignation that said he would only serve until the 18th of February. And while it's not exactly clear that he was pushed out or whether he decided to resign, it spoke volumes when the administration would not allow him to testify before a, a House subcommittee hearing over energy and commerce, nor speak to uh, the American Association for the Advancement of Science to obligations that he had agreed to, or rather his office had agreed to far in advance. I think that sent the message loud and clear to Lander that it was time to resign. And I think um, finally, the only other thing I would point to is that the European Commission unveiled its European Chips Act, which is a suite of interlocking actions that would seek to bring to the European Union more of the semiconductor supply chain. The European Union has uh, been talking about this particular uh, legislative effort for some time now. This has been teased by the European Commission's president. 
and also um, is seen as a key part of the bloc's attempt to achieve technological independence from both the United States and the People's Republic of China, who Brussels sees as the two biggest gorillas in the jungle that they are going to need to defend themselves against. At present, of course, the lion's share and increasing lion's share of semiconductor um, production comes from East Asia with the advanced semiconductor production coming from largely Taiwan and South Korea, to some degree the United States, and to some degree Japan as well. Uh, of course, there are similar efforts in the United States to provide similar financial incentives. It's being reported in the European Union. The European Chips Act would provide something on the order of 43 billion euros to help semiconductor production start or come to the European Union. Before the United States Congress right now are two bills, one out of the House and one out of the Senate, that agree on not a lot, but they do agree that some $52 billion should be uh, provided for the CHIPS Act, which is uh, very similar to the European CHIPS Act that would provide incentives for companies like uh, Taiwan's Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation or Intel or some of the other players to build plants in the United States and or shift their supply chain out of the People's Republic of China. And so I think that's going to wrap up this uh, edition of the Wavelength podcast. Again, um, even though I am a lawyer, this is not legal counsel, this is not legal advice. Um, moreover, anything I've said here or will say on a podcast or write in my newsletter does not represent the views of clients past, present, or future. It does not necessarily represent their views. And also, it may not even represent my views soon enough. So uh, thanks for listening. As mentioned at the top, uh, this uh, Wavelength has turned into a subscription product. There will still be uh, a free uh, edition available every week. But I think you'll find that subscribing has many benefits. And there are not many products in the marketplace that cover tech policy, politics, and law in the same way. So I suggest that you take a look and subscribe. I think you'll find a lot of value in it. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.